I want to continue this series called Steps from 2 Peter chapter number 1. Uh, I'm glad that God has made the Christian journey uh, something that's attainable for everybody. Amen? You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a mathematician. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be some scholastic, deep-thinking person. You don't even have to be smart, to be honest with you, to be a good, God-fearing Jesus-loving Christian. And, uh, and so I want to share these things with you that are vital to uh, our progress in the journey. Everybody is on a journey uh, that began at Calvary. The moment we were saved, we began this pathway with Christ, and uh, we will not arrive until we see Jesus face-to-face one day. And so uh, wherever you're at in your journey this morning, Uh, God is working in you and God is developing you. So let's pray and we will dive right in here. Father, thank you so much for all that we've received at your hand. God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for how you work in lives. I pray that you'd continue to bless our time together this morning. God, I pray that you would touch every heart. Father, I pray that you would fill me with the spirit of wisdom. uh, And God, just use me this morning, direct my thoughts, direct my steps And Lord, be glorified in this place. I pray that wherever each individual is in their life today, God, that you would speak to them, that you would draw them closer to you, Father, that they would purposefully press in to whatever you're calling them to do. Lord, give us strength, deliver us from fear, deliver us from bondage, God, deliver us from all the things that would tie us down, all the things of the world uh, that would keep us from being all that you've designed and called us to be. Lord, bless our time together. May we be enriched. Father, may we be filled and might your name be uplifted. For we ask it in the name that's above every name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So here he begins this preface, he gives us these promises, he tells us that that what we're about to receive, if we will indeed receive it, if we will apply these truths to our lives, he said that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature. So in other words, we can become like the God who designed us. If you remember, God designed us in his own likeness and image, right? His purpose was for us to live with joy unspeakable, full of glory. His purpose was for us to be victors and not victims. His purpose for us is to live a life that is full of him, right? Like all the things that we seek in the world, that's why he goes on to say, uh, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust, all the things that we look for and long for in the world but never find are truly found in Jesus. Like all the avenues that we have wandered down, all the things that we have tried to implement into our lives that left us continually feeling empty and dull and lacking and needing more, we find fully and completely fulfilled in a man they call Jesus the Nazarene. So he said if you'll take these things and apply them into your life, he said you can become partakers, you can become a part 
of the divine nature that God has provided for you. And here's how easy it is. It's as easy as addition. One plus one equals two. And that's how he goes on to explain this. Notice with me in verse number five, he said, but also for this very reason, Giving all diligence. You can't be lazy about this. You can't be lackadaisical about this. You're not just going to accidentally stumble into it. He said, giving all diligence. You have to become purposeful in your path. Amen? You've got to become purposeful in your path that God's put you on. But for, for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So that was point number one, right? We talked about faith plus virtue equals demonstrable faith, okay? This whole series is about faith. Everything we're gonna deal with has to do with faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God, okay? So everything that we're gonna deal with, by the way, I'll stare at you and nod my head until you respond like you heard me, just in case you forgot how this goes, all right? So uh, everything we're gonna deal with has to do with faith. So the first point, uh, add to your faith virtue. Faith is the starting point. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So faith is the beginning. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So add to your faith virtue. Again, we call that demonstrable faith or faith that can be demonstrated. Faith is not some secret Word, some secret society. It's not some private thing that we keep to ourselves. Faith is not invisible. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is substantial and faith has evidence. That's what that means, right? You can't have faith without there being evidence of faith. Faith without works is dead. So if somebody says they have faith and they don't have works, their faith is in vain. That's what your Bible says. James chapter two, if you wanna study a little bit more on that. But faith without works is dead. If a man says he has faith and doesn't have works, his faith is null and void in vain because faith is not a hypothesis. Faith is not just some ideology. Faith is not some buzzword that we use in Christian cultures. Faith is reality that we live by as believers. And so add to your faith virtue. Virtue is faith applied. Virtue is when we learn to walk by faith, when we learn to exercise our faith. Virtue is faith flexing its muscle. And so add to your faith virtue. Begin to live out your faith. Begin to ex exemplify, uh, demonstrate the fact that you have faith in you. So we talked about demonstrable faith. I felt like you forgot that, needed a little reminder this morning. Number two, he says add to your faith virtue, and then he says add to your virtue knowledge. There's nothing spiritual about being ignorant. Nothing spiritual about Christians just sliding by going, well, bless God, that's what my grandmommy said, and that's what my papa said, and so that's what I believe, amen? We sing that old song, it was good for our mother, it was good for our mother, it was good for my mama, and it's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion, hey, it ain't good enough, though. That's not good enough. It's not good enough that mom believed it. It's not good enough that dad believed it. It's not good enough that grandpa preached it. We've got to know what we believe and why we believe it. 
So the Bible says that we ought to, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we ought to be ready to give an answer to anybody, every man that asks us a reason of the hope that's in us with meekness and fear. Look, you ought to get to the point that you can tell other people how you got saved and explain to them how they can be saved. I'll never forget when I first became a believer, I was talking on the phone to somebody that I went to rehab with, Right? Some girl I met in rehab, great place to meet people, by the way. But I, I was on the phone uh, with this girl I met in rehab, and I was telling her what Jesus did in my life and how I got saved. And by the way, I, I'd gotten kicked out of that rehab when I was 16, 17, no, 17 years old. And, uh, and so, like, she witnessed all that, saw them throw me out and bust me with, anyway, I got busted in rehab. That's a bad place to carry dope, by the way. Uh, but anyhow, uh, just, just, just for, you know, future reference, in case you need to know, that. Don't carry drugs into rehab, they'll catch you. Uh, but anyway, they uh, saw me get kicked out of rehab, and, but I called her one day, I said, You've got to, I've got to tell you what Jesus did for me. And I began to share with her how God had so dynamically changed my life. And, and then she asked me a question I didn't know how to answer. She said, well, well, how can I do that? And I was like, I'll call you back in a minute. Because I remember opening my dad's Bible, and I saw in the front of my dad's Bible where he had written out uh, what, what he called the Roman's Road. Some of y'all have heard that, that expression, that term, uh, the Roman's Road. And uh, the Roman's Road is just a simplified gospel presentation out of the book of Romans. And so I hung the phone up, and I called my dad with this thing that you punch numbers on at one time. And I uh, called my dad up on the telephone, and I said, Dad, I gotta tell somebody how they, can, how they can be saved and trust in Jesus. Can you read that thing to me that's in the front of your Bible? And my dad read me Romans 3.23, Romans 3.10, uh, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9, Romans 10.10, Romans 10.13, and I wrote them down feverishly, called her back, and I was like, here's how you do it, right? We've all gotta come to this point where we can tell other people how they can be saved. Add to your faith virtue, add to your virtue knowledge. You've got to know what you believe and why you believe it, and it certainly goes deeper than that, but we've gotta have what we call definable faith. Number three, we talked about adding to your knowledge self-control. This was the last lesson. Adding to your knowledge self-control. Most Christians never progress past the point of knowledge because the Bible says knowledge on its own knowledge left alone, if that's all you have, if you've just gained some knowledge, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up or another translation says knowledge makes one arrogant. You ever notice that? I've known some arrogant punks that thought they were smarter than everybody, right? Uh, so, so the Bible tells us that knowledge, will, knowledge, just knowledge itself will make you arrogant and most Christians stop there. Because they gain some knowledge and they, they learn how to point their finger with the Bible. And they learn how to point out people's faults. Well, you know what the Bible says over here? Well, have you ever read what the Bible said over there? You ain't supposed to be doing that. Well, how about your, your flapping tongue, lady? You ever read what the Bible said about gossip? I mean, it's amazing to me how Christians qualify sin. We've got about a list of five things that we cuss and we damn and it's, it's horrible and it's wicked and it's belched out of the bellies of hell. But the Bible says that the tongue is an unruly member and it's set on fire of hell itself. Well, we don't talk about that, do we? I'm saying, don't, don't run around with the, the little bit of knowledge that you have and think that God has given you that knowledge to use as a sword to cut people down. God never gave you the knowledge of his word so that you could cut other people down. 
Whatever knowledge God has given you of his word, God gave that knowledge to use as a healing balm to apply to a broken heart so that you can help some poor sinner, some poor pilgrim, some poor, poor person along the way that needs a healing touch from heaven. That's why God's given you whatever knowledge you may have applied or may have attained. And so that's why he says add to your knowledge temperance or self-control. You've got to learn how to use the knowledge God's given you. You've got to learn how to apply it. I'm not being arrogant here, but I know enough Bible to keep most of y'all confused for a long time. I'm talking about if I just wanted to use knowledge, I could throw a lot of stuff out today that would just, just make you feel really bad about yourself, number one. I mean, I'm looking at you. Don't think I couldn't make you feel bad. <laughs> Misery loves company. Oh, it's on video. Shh. Thank you for the reminder. Let's just record the 11 o'clock service, shall we? Uh, this one's gotten off to a bad start. What's going on on the thing up there? You need me to hook up? Here we go. Boom. How's that? Now I'm up there. Uh, so we've got to learn how to apply the knowledge that God's given us. That's why in this context, he says to add to your knowledge self-control. We call that discipline faith. So we have demonstrable faith, definable faith, discipline faith. Today, I wanna take you one step further, okay? Notice this with me, read along. He says, so add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance. So here's what we have. He says, add to your self-control. My hands are sore from carrying buckets of concrete. Hey, this ain't working. Add to your self-control. Is it? Oh, it's not working on my screen back there. It's okay. Hey, can't bat a thousand every time. Add to self-control. Perseverance. Oh. Let me spell this right. So nervous. So nerv uh, nervous. Perseverance. Self-control plus perseverance is what we're going to call Determined faith. Determined faith. Add to your self-control. So add your knowledge, self-control. Add to your self-control, your temperance, perseverance. If you never learn how to push through pain, you're never gonna make it in this journey. Because being a Christian does not mean that you're called to a life devoid of problems. That's a big misnomer, a big lie that's been preached and proclaimed for decades now that if you'll just get saved, everything will be wonderful, right? If you'll just, if you'll just sow your seed offering to my ministry, I'll get rich. I mean, God will bless you. And if you'll just do this and all these stipulations and buying the blessings of God and, and buying the mercies of God and, and all these things and this, this false idea that being a Christian means that you live a life without problems and without pain and without sickness and without hurt, that is the farthest thing from the truth of the gospel. Being a believer in Christ does not mean that you live without problems. It does not mean that you live without pain. In fact, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. So we've got to get to this point in our faith journey that we understand there will be times when all we can do is press forward. There will be times when all we can do is withstand the enemy that's coming against us. There will be times when all we can do is just push through another day and try to breathe through another pain and try to make it through another situation that we have no idea how we're going to make it through. 
You've got to add to your self-control perseverance. You've got to have determined faith. I can't overemphasize how important it is for you to just get real stubborn as a Christian. Now, when I say stubborn, I mean spiritually stubborn. Some of you are very naturally stubborn on your own. Amen. Your favorite old hymn is I Shall Not Be Moved. But we've got to get to this point where we are that stubborn spiritually. Where we are so stubborn that when when it seems like all of the world is imploding around us, when it seems like everything that we hold dear and everything that's sacred to us and everything that we love, when it feels like all of that is beginning to slip through our fingertips, when our health begins to fade, when the money's not there, when our problems pile up and, 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 our, and our, all the things standing in front of us are mountains that are too tall and too great for us to climb, we've got to get to this point where we're so determined that we're going to press forward no matter whether we're hurting, no matter whether we're, we're crying and weeping in the night, no matter what is coming. Coming into our lives, we've got to get to this point that we learn to press through the pain. We've got to be determined as believers that we're not going to turn our back on God when things go wrong. Read the book of Job sometime. When you get to the end of the book of Job, say, God, thank you that you didn't write that book about me and I didn't have to live through that. Because I don't know anybody that's ever gone through what he went through. Okay? But, but here's what happened. Job lost everything, but here's what happened. Job said, the only thing Job didn't lose was his wife. I'll let you deduce whether that was a blessing or a curse. Study it for yourself, okay? I'm not saying anything. But his wife did say, Job's wife did say this to him. When Job lost, they lost their children, they lost their farm, they lost their family, they lost everything. Even Job's health was taken away from him. And as he was sitting there with with boils uh, breaking open in his flesh and he was sitting in an ash heap just trying to find relief, uh, rubbing his wounds with ashes, she said, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Just give up. Won't you cuss God, give in, and just die. Here's what Job said. He said, should we accuse God foolishly? Should we receive good things at the hand of God? Should we receive blessing and not cursing? He said, here's what I'm gonna do. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. And one of these days, I'm gonna stand in his presence. So even if this whole world falls apart and my health fails and everything around me fails and falls apart, I'm determined and I know that I'm not living for this world. I'm living for the world that's to come and I'm gonna see Jesus one day and I'm gonna worship him throughout eternity and he's gonna take all my pain and he's gonna take all my problems and he's gonna heal all my wounds and he's gonna set me free forever and ever. And so really all that I have to endure in this little period, this little space called time is gonna fade away into existence. And so I'm not gonna let this little blip of a problem on the grander roadmap of life keep me from loving and worshiping and serving Jesus. That's determined faith. That's faith that's not based on circumstances. That's faith that's not based on your surroundings. And, and by the way, I just can't get this out of my head, but that, but, but that little, little Mexican woman, Miriam, when we finished her, her building her roof that day, and, 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 and I didn't show you the pictures of the little hut that they're living in, but literally their walls are built out of sticks and cardboard and newspaper. 
And yet, if you walk in there, she's got Bible verses pasted all over the walls. And she's got the joy of the Lord. I'm telling you, I've never met anybody that emanated more with the joy of Jesus Christ than that little woman does. And when we finished her roof, she, she doesn't speak English. I don't speak Mexican, Spanish. But I could tell she wanted to say something to me and, and to Brian, the, guy that, the other guy that was on the scaffolding lifting the concrete up there. I could tell she wanted to say something to me and, and Brian, and she walked up, and I could tell she was very timid and, and trepidatious about it, but she, her friend was kind of pushing her forward, trying to encourage her to go ahead and say what she wanted to say. And, and in the best broken English that she could possibly say, she thanked us for what we'd done, and then what she couldn't say, she said through a translator, and here's what she said through the translator. She said, you are like angels sent from God. Now listen to me, we built a house that's about the size of your bedroom at home. And her and her husband and two little children are gonna live in that house, they're gonna, they're, that's where their bathroom is, that's where their kitchen is, that's where their beds are, that's all of it. But she said, I have been praying and trusting that God would provide this need for me. And she said, and God has sent you here. By the way, this is how the body of Christ works universally. Because she prayed and God responded and God spoke to some people's hearts. And by us responding to the call of God on our hearts, doing what God instructed us to do, we bless that little family in ways that, that, that's un, unimaginable. But she's so determined that even living in a grass hut, she loves the Lord Jesus Christ. She reads his word, she studies his word, she prays. She teaches her children about God. And yet if our schedule at work gets thrown off or we didn't get that raise we were expecting and we don't, get to, we don't get to buy a new car every other year and we don't get to eat at our favorite steakhouse at least once a month, man, we were just, you know, question if God even exists in our lives anymore. We've gotta have determined faith. And by the way, can I tell you, God's people have it so good here in America, but the goodness and the blessings of God that we have could be taken away just as easily as we received them. And it could get worse before it gets better. And I'm just telling you that as Christians, we have to be determined that we're gonna live for Jesus no matter what happens. And I don't know what you're going through this morning. And by no means am I in any way discounting the problems that you're facing because it may not be outward poverty that you're facing, but there might be something in your life that is just tearing you apart. You've gotta determine that you're gonna dig your heels in and you're gonna stand with Christ no matter what it is. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, he said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep pressing forward. Just keep pressing in. Just keep working. Just keep going. Because weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning.